Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. A podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the medium has to offer. Oh! Matt! How you doing? Bro, I've been watching so much anime lately. <laughs> what are you watching? Right now, I am watching Fire Force. Have you heard of Fire Force? Is that the one with the firefighters that's done by David Productions? Yeah. Yeah, daddy. Yeah, yeah. So it's a freaking insane premise. Literally, it's just like people just spontaneously combust now, right? And these turn into fire monsters. <laughs> there's, Wait, really? Yeah. It's awesome. They just spontaneously combust and they turn into fire monsters. And then there's a special group put together to help fight them. And some of them have special fire powers. And that's that's it. That's wait, the wait. The firemen have firefighting powers, or really, the firefighters have yes. firefighting powers, yes. or they have fire powers. They have fire powers that they use to fight the fire monsters. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's no, it's crazy. Hot. Yeah, dude. That's Quarantine sick. has had me watching stupid anime. Like I, I watched Haikyuu. I binged it in like three days, three or four days. I still got. Now get I play volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I play beach volleyball with my roommates on the weekends now. It's a great time. Well. Can you tell the fans if you're going to become a firefighter then? Uh, that's like post-quarantine, man. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's too hot uh, for that. It's too hot for that. And uh, I'm like 5'7". It just it wouldn't work. <laughs> do, do firefighters need to be tall? Did they talk you, about that? You need to be 5'8". You need to be 5'8". Yeah, 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 for sure. Then I I, I, I definitely can because I'm I'm 6'9 six, six, over here. 6'9", 220, yeah. absolute <laughs> unit. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. I've heard, I've heard good stuff about that show, so I'm glad someone's watching it. Yeah. Oh, what are you drinking, King? Oh, dude, I'm drinking um just just my uh, nightly old fashioned, just hanging out. So sophisticated. <laughs> I prefer water, like an athlete. Like I got water too. <laughs> <laughs> I got water too. I got water too. Uh, hey, Matt. Yeah, Daddy. What game are we talking about today? Today we are talking about the number one Interstellar movie simulator, Outer Wilds. <laughs> Wow, oh, man. Wow, 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 wow. Wow, I loved Outer Wilds. Yeah. This game was super, super awesome. Really a nutty game, honestly. Like, there's... This could, This is probably going to be about an hour-long episode, I'm guessing, give or take, plus or minus. This could easily be a Netflix mini-documentary. <laughs> like, like a, like a, like a five-episode mini-series. It could easily fill that much time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think people like to hear us talk for that long, too. Yeah. which is um, always good for the world. Naturally, um, yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go straight into the synopsis of, of this wonderful game, and then, uh, then I want to hear your thoughts, right, Matthew. Right. Great. So, Outer Wilds, everybody. Outer Wilds is a sci-fi open-world exploration game released in 2019, developed by Mobius Digital and published by Annapurna Interactive. It got an 89% on PC Gamer, an 8.4 on IGN, and a 9 out of 10 on Steam, currently. It also won the BAFTA Award for Best Game in 2019. And here's the games Here's the games it beat out, okay? This is a game, best game. Best game. Literal best game. This isn't third place. This isn't bronze. This isn't silver. <laughs> this, is... this is pure, unadulterated gold. Best game. No, there's, there's ranks above gold. No, never mind. Um, no, we're talking like Olympics. Here's what it, here's what it beat out. <laughs> I'm talking Valorant ranks. All right, all right. It beat out Control, Luigi's Mansion 3, mm-hmm. Untitled Goose Game, mm-hmm. Disco Elysium, what? and Sekiro 
Shadows Die Twice. I Those are some high-profile games. Control, especially too. I, I only heard phenomenal things about that game. Like I was listening, to, I listen to Gamescoop and Podcasts Beyond pretty regularly, and both those game or excuse me, both those podcasts were just raving about Control. And obviously, Untitled Goose Game. I mean, you can just for the that's title, the title that's a, alone. That's a phenomenon. <laughs> that game's a phenomenon, honestly. Yeah, the title alone put it in contention. And Sekiro uh, Shadows Died Twice is just obviously phenomenal. Yeah. What was the other one you mentioned? Uh, Disco Elysium and Luigi's Mansion oh, 3, yeah, which yeah. I didn't get a chance to play either one of those. Yeah, me but, either. Um, my brother played a Luigi's Mansion 3. I know he talked really well on it. Um, I love the Luigi's Mansion series, so the fact that this game beat out what got nominated for that yeah. year for that series is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's a good sign. Yeah. Um, so the recap, okay? What is Outer Wilds about? I'm going to tell you all right now. Oh! So Outer Wilds, the player takes the role of an alien space explorer preparing for their first solo flight. While preparing to take off, the player is involuntarily paired with a mysterious alien statue on their home planet. The statue is said to have been created by the Nomai, an ancient and mysterious alien race that had once lived in the solar system. All of the ancient structures of the Nomai have been discovered but never fully understood by your alien race. However, you as the player are the first of your kind to be equipped with a universal translator, which allows you to read the ancient writing of the ancient aliens. <laughs> Shortly after taking off and exploring the solar system, the sun goes supernova, exactly 22 minutes after you start your adventure, killing you, your planet, everyone you love. How's that sound? How's that sound? The <laughs> The player then wakes up and discovers they're trapped in a 22-minute time loop leading up to the sun-going supernova. The game loop then consists of the player slowly discovering the truth about the ancient, ancient aliens that inhabited this star system and their goals. You explore a single part of the solar system, die, repeat, explore a little bit more, discover more information, and slowly piece the puzzle together as why this time loop exists. The player discovers that the ancient aliens came to the solar system in search of the eye of the universe, a massive anomaly exuding macroscopic energy. Okay. <laughs> macroscopic quantum energy, excuse me, which is uh macro, micro. Macro, mac macro. No, really? no, it's macro cuz it's big. The moon. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get into the macroscopic quantum hot, energy throughout. Hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Using a combination of all their technological discoveries, the Nomai, ancient aliens, eventually pinpoint the coordinate of the eye of the universe, which is supposedly, according to myth and legend, older than the universe itself. So we're, we're getting pretty deep sci-fi here. Sci-octane. Using a 22-minute data feedback loop triggered by the sun going supernova, they are able to find and discover the eye of the universe. But, Matt, there is a twist. They go Twisty. extinct. They go extinct before they are able to artificially make the sun go supernova. Therefore, the Nomai are unable to see the fruits of their own experiments and labor. However, you, the player, finish where they left off. Through a series of however many deaths it takes you, yeah. you eventually discover... Hundreds. <laughs> hundreds, hundreds maybe thousands, who thousands, knows? Yeah. You, the player, discover the coordinates of the eye and teleport there using a derelict Nomai interstellar vessel warping to the eye's location. Here's where it gets batshit crazy. 
Upon entering the eye, the player encounters quantum versions of the various characters you befriend in your journey. From there, you sit around a campfire and play music together while the universe ends. That's right, you find out the universe is actually coming to an end. The universe eventually ends. There is a big bang that you experience firsthand, jumpstarting a new universe. Credits roll. Then, but wait, an epilogue. An epilogue. <laughs> it's like a shazam commercial. <laughs> <laughs> There's more. There's more. There is an Shut epilogue. <laughs> there is an epilogue that shows a similar solar system with new life forms 14.3 billion years after its creation. And there are life forms sitting in a forest by a campfire, just like you. End of game. Amazing. Amazing. I just want to comment really quickly on the ending, too. I love how it ends just like. It's like a Saturday with the boys, just chilling, singing some campfire songs. You know, there wasn't any there, but I'm sure there's a cooler somewhere filled with like Coors Light or something. You know, for sure. Some yeah, yeah. Light. yeah, yeah. Well, you roast marshmallows in the game, so we could have had some of that. You know, could have had some of that. Yeah, yeah. It's just but a pure Saturday with the boys. Super trippy ending, yeah. uh, crossing the boundary of sci-fi and realism, and a little bit of surrealism in there too. It's, it's like everything wild. too. It's yeah, we'll get into it more, especially when we start kind of looking at it relative to other works. But it's just, it's basically a, a sci-fi space epic, right? Kind of, yeah. It's yeah. a sci-fi space epic, but it still manages to maintain this little bit of humble humbleness to yeah. it. Because it's got kind of this, like, the ending of the game, you're literally sitting by a campfire watching the universe die out. <laughs> like, it's, and we'll talk about the ending it's, more. It's as just, along, it's serene, you know? It's, yeah, it's serene, but also, like... I mean, it's as big as it gets. It's literally, you watch a big bang, right? You, you watch yeah. a new universe get born at the end of this game, yeah. which is just insane, um, which is on the level of some sci-fi that I am going to bring up later on in the, in the episode. But yeah, man, what do you think overall? The over, Honestly, really, really. I had some rough patches with the game, but it, it was a really good, just a really good video game. It's there's, I can't think of literally anything like it, and I think that's why it stands out so much from the crowd. You know, there's, it won, um, as you mentioned, the BAFTA 2019. Um, we, we'll get into this more too, but it won the IGF, which is like the Indie Gaming Awards uh, Best in Best in Show in 2015, and it's just a phenomenal game. Um, I had an interesting experience with it where I kind of fell out of it midway. Uh, we can get into that a little bit more later. <laughs> no, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the you, game, sent me a few te- you sent me a few texts yeah, yeah, yeah. during your gameplay. It seemed a little stuck. <laughs> but it, it brought me back, and it was just, yeah, it, it's crazy. I felt like I was playing a journey through the national parks or something. You know, like It was just exploring and seeing so much, and it was just it was crazy. But Yeah, but it's like an a, a interplanetary nat- like national parks system yeah yeah. because you you go and you see this like cool phenomenon going on here and then you go to another planet and there's an awesome phenomenon going on over there yeah it's like such an interesting world it's like it actually too they they did mention that uh i know you and i both watched the documentary on this in preparation and the 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 head art guys and head developers they used national parks as inspiration for the worlds yeah yeah i saw obviously giants deep was the one probably most loosely based off anything but um like timberhearth for example i believe was based off i think like sequoia and um what's the other big one right there i'm blanking i should know this i'm a climber yosemite yeah (laughs) yosemite i was gonna Um, say redwood so i don't know redwoods it checks out any woody area yeah just a phenomenal game Um, what did you think man 
man, I, I loved it. Um, I'm, a, I'm very biased, actually, because I love science fiction. Yeah. Um, and this game combined like so many of the different genres that I love in video games and genres that I love in other mediums and uh, just just awesome, man. I mean, I was hooked from the moment I think the game clicked for me, which was probably yeah. 22 minutes in <laughs> the first time <laughs> the first loop happened. And uh, I mean, the just hearing the like byline of the game, um, actually, you brought it up to me, Matt. You said, hey, we got to play this game, Outer Wilds. And I thought I had heard of it because I have, I'd heard of the Outer Worlds. And right. I think that's the confusing <laughs> thing. That's the thing that confuses everybody. There's a video game called The Outer Worlds, which is yeah. a bigger game by a bigger developer. Yeah. Much um, bigger. And everybody always thinks that it's they're by Obsidian. Isn't Obsidian, it? yeah. yeah. Everybody yeah. always thinks it's this kind of the same game, or it's just confusing. And which actually is probably good for both games. That's what they said. That's yeah. what they said. Because so, you're gonna look up one and then get exposed to the other by accident. It's probably happening on both sides. So I exactly. Imagine it was a good thing. And they're they're both sci-fi games, but they're so different. You know, yeah. that they scratch different itches. And yeah. um, when you had told me about this game, you said, oh, yeah, you're in a solar system and you're stuck in a 22-minute time loop and you don't really know why. Yeah. I said, that's badass. I love Groundhog Day. I love Majora's <laughs> Mask. I'm in. You know? <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. I loved. I just love time loops. Uh, I love sci-fi. I really like explore, exploring stuff, exploring, like, a cool world. And the game had all that in it. So, to be honest, as soon as I played it, I couldn't put it down. I played it every afternoon, um, every evening until I beat it, um, yeah. which took me a few sessions. Um, but that was only also after thinking about it uh, as I was going to sleep and as I woke yeah. up and as I was making dinner, constantly kind of figuring out what, how the puzzle pieces fit together. So I, yeah. I, I wouldn't have beat game. this game on it. I wouldn't have beat this game if I didn't have like online guides and you to help me. I'll just throw that out there right now. But I, I, I don't I don't see that as um, that's not an issue. I think. <laughs> okay, no, Am I, I not an issue? No, no, no. That's not, you're not. You're thank, not. Thank God. <laughs> Let me. I, I, I'll explain. Like, I think, because I had to use a guide um, for one specific, one specific part of the game, which is the notorious Ash Twin project Ash Twin puzzle, project. and and I, it's actually one of my nitpicks for for this episode, and uh, it, so I'll get, I'll get into that one a little yeah. bit later. But there's nothing wrong with using a guide, especially. Um, hey, man, we're on a tight schedule over here. You we're know? on a tight schedule. <laughs> Two episodes a month? Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, never. It was uh, it was great, man. Uh, just overall, I want to reiterate. Uh, I loved the way the world kind of ran like clockwork, yeah. and every single um, everything was moving all the time in this video game world, and that's not that's not really done in any game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because it's and what's even. It's it's all rendered, you know, in like real time, basically. And it's, you know, you're, there's there's one loading screen, and it's when you die and start over, and then it. Just, oh yeah, it, that's the one loading. I know. I actually never even really yeah, made that connection. That's incredible. the one loading screen. Dang, and it's I a think sick maybe loading screen. Maybe there's one more too when you go to the eye of the world, or excuse me, eye of the universe at the end. I can't exactly remember how that plays out, but there probably it's incredible. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so when when did the game like really click for you then? Pretty once I got my first big discovery on Giant's Deep, because that was the first planet I went to after I ventured off from uh, Timberhearth, your home starting planet. And once I kind of got there and started discovering the you know all the Naomi, no, no my fun fact I didn't realize until like the day of like today when we were gonna be recording this podcast that it was actually no my and not Naomi. I was calling him Naomi the whole time. I, I do that with <laughs> books all the time. Like yeah. wrong name for um, a while. Yeah, once once I saw like the first, you know, remnants of Naomi 
No, my. <laughs> <laughs> Get it right, Matt. Come on. Once I saw the first remnants of the Nomai uh, civilization and, you know, their technology and stuff, I was just kind of like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my God. What was the first big Steep. discovery you made on uh, on Giant Steep then? Uh, it was, I don't remember what it was called. It's like the Statue Island. You discovered the secret of the statue. The secret of the Statue Island and everything under it. Um, and it was just, just nutty. And it was very, it, just once you get... To, get that first information in you, you just start to realize, oh my god, every other planet's like this, you know? And oh my god, this this game's gonna be huge. Yeah. And interestingly enough too, I kind of that kind of took me out of the game in a sense as well. Because once like let's take for example a game like Oberdin, which we covered, right? That's a game where as you learn more, it becomes very clear how everything pieces together for the most part. But I as I learned more here in this game, I was like I'm still not getting it, and yeah. I still am having trouble piecing this all together because it's it's l- much less linear, you know, um, and it, it doesn't paint as clear of a picture of like here's the order and sequence of events that happen and everything like that. But other than that, I mean, yeah, wow. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. That's funny that that was your first big discovery. Um, for me, I didn't was... listen to any of the dialogue, so I didn't go to like the Adderlock or anything. <laughs> Wait, you didn't go to the what? Or the the plant or the moon for the the asteroid. Oh a- yeah 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 the Adelbert. You didn't listen to the title. You didn't read. I like skip through. I was like, ask it. I just yeah, saw the- Giant's Deep. I was like, oh, okay, Giant's Deep. Yeah yeah, you go there. Yeah. No, Giant's Deep was cool. That was kind of the uh, all like water planet with like an electric core mm-hmm. and, uh, below the water. That one was pretty cool. I didn't go to that one a little bit till a little bit later because it kind of freaked me out. But um, yeah, the the statue discovery. It's that megalophobia make. you're talking about. Yeah, this game is great with megalophobia. Mm-hmm. Megalophobia is the fear of like gigantic stuff, and this game, especially when you're like, when you're on certain planets, when you're on the Giants Deep, some stuff is gigantic and it's kind of, kind of scary. Yeah. Um, the Dark Bramble. Dark Bramble. Huge, oh huge meg- megalophobia vibes. Yeah. Um, slash cosmic horror vibe slash just general discomfort i think <laughs> giant fi- yeah, yeah thank you i think everybody hates that planet uh because the giant fish that eat you when you move too fast yeah yeah <laughs> so i think for me when it when it clicked had to have been just when i discovered that the whole solar system really worked like clockwork right like yeah. Because you start off on your home planet before you even take off before you get paired with the statue you start off on your home planet and you know, you talk to some people. I actually had most of the dialogue with most of the the people in my village. And then I took off and I just kind of started flying to a random planet. I flew to the moon first, actually. Um, but when I realized, to. yeah, like you're supposed to. When I flew to the moon and I realized that the moon was moving around my planet, my home planet, and my home planet was kind of spinning, rotating, and then it was also orbiting around the sun, and then you, you can open up your map and you kind of zoom out on the map and you see everything is moving all at the same time, just like a true solar system. Yeah. It's all scaled down so you can Obviously. explore everything. Yeah. But like your planet's rotating while it's orbiting. The moon is rotating and orbiting. You fly to this planet, which is rotating and orbiting. And everything's kind of interacting with each other in mm-hmm. a great way and always having a force applied to it. And... It's just so cool. Like you can leave your if you leave your ship on a planet, you can actually jump to another planet, and the ship will keep moving and going off in a random direction, and you could actually yeah. lose it completely. And they, they <laughs> stayed true to physics for the most part, which is like 
nutty. Yeah, it really makes you feel like you're not controlling anything. This world yeah. is just moving. Uh, you're not the center of the universe. That's kind of the idea of the game design there. And um, again, like I said, it's got that cosmic horror vibe where yeah. you feel insignificant. It really does. Yeah, it's just. I remember while we were playing while we were playing this game too. There was like a comet passing through or something, and I just like looked up, and I, was just, like, <laughs> I had all the outer wild stuff going on in me, and I was just thinking like, holy crap! Like there is a, it was just pure existential crisis. There's everything out there, and I was just like, oh my god! I started like having a mini panic attack in my driveway. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, Damn, there's a whole world out there. Yeah, and it, God, it, it, it wasn't healthy, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Please, Outer Wilds, you guys gotta change that. It hurts. It hurts. Yeah, the pain. <laughs> there should be like a disclaimer too. Like, like you will have a panic attack. You will experience cosmic horror. You'll realize <laughs> you mean nothing. That should be the meaning of this game. <laughs> yeah, but no, no. Hey, come on. There is a lot of hope in the ending. There is a lot of hope. Yeah, yeah. I think. I think. Well, I, we'll talk about the ending in detail. But I, I do think I do have a lot of opinions on the ending, which I think is open for interpretation, but ultimately yeah. very hopeful. While at the same time being somehow very existential too, <laughs> incredibly. Yeah. yeah, it's just that's what makes it a great a great ending, right? Is yeah. it's there's multiple readings and there's there's multiple ways to feel about it. Yeah. But um, I want to move over to game design, Matt. Before we get there, though, I want to touch on the developer a little bit, actually. My bad. Go so, for it. I forgive you. It's okay. <laughs> I'm skipping I'm ahead. Game. I'm skipping yeah. ahead. You're so excited. I get it. It's a great <laughs> game. <laughs> so tell us about Mobius. Yeah, so I kind of want to backtrack to the beginning of one of the head developers, um, kind of his, his hero origin story, if you will. So Alex, the, the hero of the story is Alex Beecham. Am I saying his last name correctly? You, yes, you are. Beecham. So Alex Beecham was a student at USC Interactive Media and Games Division. And basically for you know, their final project, as you would have to do in like a lot of you know, upper to uh, graduate programs and things like that, you have some sort of thesis you have to put together. And his thesis originally started out as just a game where you're sitting on a planet and you just, you're, you're doing nothing basically, and you just see the sun explode and it just slowly envelops you. But it was meant to be like this serene, beautiful fireworks show, um, similar to how every time the sun goes supernova in this game is. And eventually that idea and that game grew into more right so he started talking with other students and he started taking little pieces of their games which had similar themes and ideas and bringing it into his game and working with them and eventually he brought on everyone to create outer wilds um an alpha of what we know it today and he originally wanted to create something kind of akin to apollo 13 or 2001 a space odyssey right you know something that's in an uncontrollable environment and he wanted to make a world that really has no pure objective other than being driven by curiosity, right? And he took cues from games like The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, and all that good stuff. And he created the alpha of this game with team members from USC. And eventually, once they got the full alpha going and everything, they were able to take it to the IGF Game Awards, where after having an amazing showing there, where they won the IGF Game Awards, which to give the full name is Independent Games Festival. Um, this was in 2015. It is basically the Super Bowl of indie games. Like they were the best indie game that year, no questions asked. Probably be the best indie game for five years out. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, they they turned a lot of heads that year too, from my understanding. Yeah. Like people so, were like, "What is this? What is this? And how did it win?" Sorry. <laughs> so many heads that were turned. <laughs> that actor 
Masioka, who had some previous experience as a programmer and had actually founded his own studio, Mobius Digital, to primarily develop uh, mobile games, actually. He saw the demo of Outer Wilds, and he was blown away by what these people at the USC um, college had put together. And so he brought them all in-house to Mobius Studios to develop a and further the creation of Outer Wilds and to bring it out of alpha into its full creation. And eventually... Um, you know, slowly over time, because this was in 2015, right? You know, it takes a long time to really get the art and everything up. Yep. Eventually, in 2018, Mobius receives funding from the publisher, uh, Annapurna Interactive, and they are able to um, finish the game and eventually get it released in 2019, the full version. Uh, originally, and this, the, the release is kind of interesting, too. So, originally, it was only released on the Xbox One on Game Pass and in the Epic Game Store. Now this is interesting because a lot of this game was originally funded through a Kickstarter called Fig, which is basically a Kickstarter meant specifically, excuse me, specifically for uh, games and indie games. And a lot of those Fig's backers, they were Linux users. And Epic Game Store does not support Linux. So they were basically left out to dry for the right. beginning of the game launch. And they're like, Dog. So, like, so the people what? that a, a large portion of the people that crowdfunded this game because they they saw the potential in it, they thought it was going to be so cool. Yeah, they, they weren't were able to play the game. They weren't even play the game at first. Yeah, yeah, which is insane to think about. And I, I, I think we could have a whole episode dedicated to like licensing stuff. But to for those that don't know, on the PC uh, on PC platforms, there's a lot of different stores where you can buy your games from. There's the Origin Store, Steam, um, Epic Games Store. Um, Microsoft, I'm pretty sure, has their own unique like store right. online as well. Just a Apple variety of places. Ar- Apple, Arca- oh, Apple Arcade. <laughs> Apple Arcade on your phone. That's I a mean, thing. We'll, we'll, we'll play that on desktop. And yeah, so it was a really big deal. Um, obviously, they probably did it because I'm sure Annapurna, I'm, I'm assuming their publisher got more money for it. But either way, kind of a um, upsetting thing for those Linux users. And I yeah, it's, it's it's an upsetting thing, thing for the Linux users, for sure. Um, I could see, like, if you crowdfund a game, you kind of want first access to it, especially if yeah. you were to pay a significant portion or do one of those high-level donor things. Um, but uh, there was a point they bring up, actually, on the Noclip documentary, which I thought was interesting about that, which is, if you got a mystery game and you put it on Game Pass, which is a free service, or, sorry, a service that gives you a free game, it creates so much more accessibility for a game like yeah, Outer Wilds, right? Because Outer, Outer Wilds is a mystery game, yeah. right? So you hear the concept of Outer Wilds and you you go, okay, well, it's free. I'll try it out. I'll play it for, you know, yeah. max I'll play it for 22 minutes, right? And it people are willing to take a chance on something like that more so than actually pay a full game price or an indie game price, 20, 25 bucks, whatever it yeah. is. Um, so I think moving it to Game Pass is actually a smart move as far as like marketing it or getting it out I think it out Game to Pass audience. was fine. I just think the the Linux like, people should the have Linux gotten the kind of kind of got screwed there, and I think that was a little unfortunate. But I mean, hey, you know what? That's big business, baby. <laughs> we call that in, in America, corporate America. We call that compromise. <laughs> no, you well, can't you can't get your cake and eat it too. That's that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, also, like, how much does it take to build like a Linux PC, and how much is like an Xbox One? Not True. a Linux PC, yeah, but like a, a computer that runs Linux. The person probably spent more money on that than they than somebody spent on an Xbox. Just throw it probably. out there. I'm not. I'm not. Not ups- I don't want to draw the Linux hate from that crowd, which I probably did. 
It's all right. We don't have that many listeners yet. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know that. The listeners don't know that, man. No, no. Hey, we're we're transparent on this podcast. Yeah, we only had like a thousand downloads last month. So. Only like I thought it was like two thousand. No, I wasn't wearing my glasses. <laughs> it might have been five. I don't know. We'll have to check back on Hun- that later. Hundred thousand? <laughs> wow. <laughs> all right, man. Hey, I rudely cut you off earlier. Yeah, I yeah. know you wanted to talk about game design, and I, yeah. Matt Rockavy, would not like to give you Lucas Luna. Do the I have the talking to do so? Do I have the floor? I'm handing you the talking, talking stick. stick. Okay, yeah. awesome, awesome. I'm gonna take a sip of this old fashioned, then we'll move on to game design. God, he's so sophisticated. He's so, so hot. <laughs> so I, I game design. I mean, uh, the game design was awesome. Uh, and I, I keep, I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot by just saying that everything about this game was awesome. Uh, but the game design was so cool. I, I really love temporal design when it comes to video games. So what comes to mind um, in my head are um, things that use a time loop or time as a mechanic for what you do, mm-hmm. right? So something like Majora's Mask, which is actually one of, I actually think it might be my favorite Zelda game, uh, utilizes a three-day time loop. Um, where everybody's on a schedule and you eventually learn everybody's schedule and you eventually kind of master that three-day period. Um, One of my favorite movies is Groundhog Day. For those of you that have seen that time loop movie, one day over and over again, Bill Murray, phenomenal movie. Um, Even a sci-fi, a really badass sci-fi movie came out several years ago. What was the name of that book you and I, you recommended to me too? Oh, Replay. Replay. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm surrounded by time loops. Yeah. Replay yeah. <laughs> is a great. Is a great. Uh, I think it came out in the '80s. It's a great fiction novel that came out. Um, oh man, the author's name is slipping my name. So are my my mind. So we'll have to kind of pull that up later. But great, great book. Replay um, about a guy stuck in sort of a lifelong time loop where he keeps replaying his life from 18 years old to like 42 years old. But each loop, he moves up a little bit in time. Yeah, and, and, and then he starts kind of deciding what to do differently each replay of his life. And that one's really interesting, too. And even that Tom Cruise movie that came out, which uh, it's called Edge of Tomorrow, or Live, Live Die, Repeat. Um, that was like a sleeper action <laughs> movie that came out. Name. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Oh, aren't they called... in, like, like ex- they're on Earth. exosuits? In the yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, they're on Earth in it's exosuits. Like and yeah, it's <laughs> Titanfall. badass. Titanfall. It's Titanfall scaled down. Oh, yeah. yeah, on Earth. But that movie is, uh, just a quick, quick aside, because I thought that movie was did not get its due diligence. Uh, that is, Tom Cruise gets uh, caught up in a time loop where he's fi- like fighting the same battle and waking up the morning of the battle every single day. And he fights the same battle every single day until he like masters that battle and just starts being a badass at some point. Tom Cruise being a badass, like, what's new? Um, so I love, I love temporal design in video games. Um, I think what's really cool about it is it goes against what a lot of video games try and do. They say that video games are, sorry, they say that gamers love numbers going up. We love bars filling up. We love positive feedback. We love getting rewarded for what we do um, inside the game world. But a game there's like no Outer Wilds, here. there's none of that. There's no, I didn't really think about that. Yeah, really? there's no bars. There's no unlockable abilities. There's no skill trees. Maybe that's the reason I probably didn't love this game as much as I did, because I'm just a slave to You're the... You're just a small brain I'm a sheep, gamer. man. I'm a sheep. 
<laughs> I, what's what's great is it takes it strips away those traditional feelings you feel yeah. as a gamer and it just makes you feel good about making a discovery it makes yeah. you feel good about gaining knowledge which like i guess that sounds nerdy but getting new knowledge is so innately interesting to me yeah, yeah i just and that, love that goes back out. to like one of the what they really wanted to create with this game in the first place you know was, was something driven by curiosity I think in like their acceptance awards, you know, like literally what they say, um, Alex Beecham is like, he's like, hey, stay curious, something like that. And, yeah, what a badass. Dude. Like, yeah, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> More anglerfish. Yeah, what do you think of the game design? Incredible. Um, the game design itself, not so much the gameplay, but the game design. I want to be clear. I think there's a difference here. Um, the game design and the worlds that they built were incredible to me. Um, I, I think Wesley Martin, the art director, sums it up really well. The game design really well, in my opinion, where he says, Outer Wilds is the game you're not supposed to make. <laughs> because it's so different from anything else, you know? It's just, to like you mentioned, like there's no re really, there's not a reward system. You don't level up. You don't get extra points. It's just you're put into this world and maybe you figure it out and maybe you don't right but a few things that really stood out to me too just from the game design aspect were for one uh the crust on brittle hollow and for those that haven't played the game yet the brittle hollow is basically a world that it's, it's a apart. thin layer it's a thin layer of crust and then on the inside of it is just a black hole and then slowly uh part of that crust continues to break down and fall into the black hole moreover that is influenced by the moon of the planet which basically is a vault, giant volcano that shoots meteors out onto the planet. And each of those meteors has like different hit points associated to it. And it's all randomly generated. And, you know, depending on where the meteor hits and what part and what section of the planet it hits, it interacts with the HP of that crust. You know, each section of crust has its own individual HP. Each meteor has its own individual hit points. And depending on, you know, how that interacts and keep in mind this isn't sequenced every every time you die every time you play this game again it's all random it's all or not excuse me it's all not procedurally generated it's all randomly done you every time and depending on how they interact maybe it'll break off maybe it won't there's a few parts of it though where obviously they don't let it break off immediately at least because that would very much affect your ability to play the game if that's somewhere you wanted to visit but just little things like that are just so incredible to me. And there's another moment, too, where, for example, one of the big points in the game, and a big point in the game in general, is understanding quantum mechanics and applying the rules of quantum mechanics to the game itself and that universe. And the quantum moon is basically the moon that is the... It is the moon of the eye of the universe, but depending on... It, it, excuse me. It is the moon of the eye of the universe. <laughs> it's a complicated and, thing to explain. Yeah, I'm trying to... <laughs> to be fair. And at the beginning of the game, it spawns orbiting a different planet each time. And if you look at it, you know, you can see it. But if you look away, it'll go and move to a different planet. Right. So you can only, it'll only, it only exists when you're looking at it. You have to confirm its existence, which is like one of the rules of quantum mechanics. Right. So then this blew my mind how much they paid attention to detail. Keep in mind what I'm about to say. Your character normally, your character only blinks at one point in the game. It's when he's waking up, right? Only time he blinks. When my character is waking up after a death in the time loop, I look up and you know I, I see the quantum moon hovering the giant's deep, which is the planet that's visible when you first wake up. My character blinks and it's gone. 
that attention to detail i just thought was so incredible because that'd be such an easy thing to gloss over you know such an easy thing to kind of forget about right. but that attention to detail and then just staying consistent with physics in general like for example if you go to the edge of the solar system in this game and then you just you know park your ship and don't do anything kill your velocity you'll slowly drift towards the center back to the sun not towards any specific planet but to the sun because it has the strongest gravitational pull naturally um and like the zero g cave for example it is at the center of the timber hearth and that makes sense that it'd be zero g because it's at the center it's of the center planet, of a planet right and all right. the gravity is surrounding it at that point basically and you wouldn't even know that just going into it because you you're basically entering a cave and you can't tell that's where you're going. You can't tell that you're now in the center of the planet. But it wasn't until I watched the documentary, Luke, and I referenced a bit where, you know, they, they blow it up and you see where it is in the, is in the planet. And the guy that programmed it and the artist, he's like, yeah, that checks out. Yeah. <laughs> I've done the math. Yeah. 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 No, it's, they've done the math. Yeah. I think you're right. The attention to detail of the physics of the world is so cool. It plays into the game design completely. Yeah. And I, I just want to touch on one more thing too about the, the overall structure of it too, uh, the way the clues go, right? So when you're on one planet, it'll point you to a clue, which leads to another clue, which leads to the big picture. Right. Yeah, it'll reference stuff. And yeah. That's so cool to me. Cause like, I know that the basic premise of the game was meant to be like, we have three big clues yeah. and then we have a bunch of little clues pointing to one of those three big clues and they all kind of point to each other that structure is so cool like it, it's it keeps the curiosity wheel like kind of turning you know uh i just i just thought that was really awesome with the game design yeah it was incredible i mean yeah I, again i, I want to elaborate on what i said earlier too i think the gameplay and game design are separate things because like you weren't a I, fan of the gameplay I think, yeah, I think for me, the gameplay was very tedious because I'm a sheep and I like, I like seeing numbers go up. I like being told good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't really get any of that. I don't really game. get any of that in this yeah. game, but just the, how well they adhere to the worlds, or excuse me, to the rules of the universe they built was just incredible to me and yeah, loved it. For loved sure. It, loved it. <laughs> what about, uh, t what about the art style? Matt, oh, what'd you think of the, the way it looked? So, as far as, like, just graphically, you know, it's not that incredible, let's be honest. Um, like, it, it looks it looks very good. Yeah, it looks Make good. Make no mistake. It looks very good, and it holds up to the generation it is it was created in. But it's not like um, you're not playing, like, a, I don't know, it's a really good graphic game right now. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Halo Infinite. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> that caused the... some stir. I <laughs> Let's not use that as the uh, poster child for good graphics right now. Well, it, it wasn't like a brand new like AAA game, like how it is with say like um, like Detroit Become Human or like a Battlefield or a new Call of Duty that comes out. Like they don't port all. They don't pour as many assets. Yeah, like, yeah. Money into it as they probably would otherwise. Anyways, I loved it. Um, I just thought it was just I, I was so excited just to explore and see how each different world looked and how everything came together and just knowing that they pulled inspiration from national parks I think was so cool um, and some of the you know the places they created too like for example at the end of the game when you're entering the eye of the universe it's just like pure pure terror absolute terror I was terrified I was like 
it's just like existential dread and they create like this big purple black abyss that you're falling into and like the music picks up and gets kind of scary and you're just like oh my god i fucked up like what did i do wrong like, <laughs> that part was wrong. crazy that was great yeah. great direction on all that all those set pieces right there for sure yeah I, and yeah it was nutty and then one more thing i do want to touch on too is just with the art i loved dying to supernovas in this game yeah dude love, love, oh. love. i i sometimes if i knew that the supernova was coming and i was done with my i would run, intentionally get out and like i, I just get it, out right? and just like yeah i just Enjoy. get out and just fly yeah, yeah, yeah. and just go like oh okay you know i literally felt like i was i literally felt like i was sitting watching a fireworks show just like oh this looks so great i'm just gonna watch this it was amazing yeah. i was like i can't wait to be enveloped by this white yeah supernova and, this it was just, it was and the just... way they changed the music to like kind of give you the cue to like oh hey, yes this is coming it's did you get did you get to any points where you you were really close to discovering a clue and finishing out a certain section and then you heard the music like the supernova was going to happen and you were like rushing to like read everything it started to play before i teleported to the eye of the universe and i was freaking out i was like no 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 i'm gonna i'm not gonna miss this <laughs> like <laughs> so you were in the vessel putting in the coordinates and you yeah heard the yeah, music yeah. I heard, I heard yeah the music that, that happened to me super too. stressed me out I was like, yeah I yeah that's intentional too because it takes you that amount of time roughly to go to the ash twin project and yeah. then go and like the, the game is set up to actually put you on the edge of your seat for the yeah. final run uh like of where you the last 22 minute loop that you do yeah. um it's all set up to kind of by design yeah by design and i thought that was really cool too um as far as the art style i, I thought it was uh, again like cool it's, it's pretty minimal and stripped down compared to a lot of triple a games mm -hmm. we look at you know that we play on the daily um and i think uh they talk about it actually is they didn't want the player looking through every single nook and every uh, cranny, right, right, for clues. So every clue that is left behind you is actually very distinct looking relative to the environment that you're in. Yeah. So you have all these really great environments, all these really interesting planets. You have tornadoes and you basically have like a gas giant and like a sand planet and all this interesting stuff. But the clues, when you find them, they just look like they stick out. They're like yeah. glowy purple hieroglyphic writing. And uh, I think that was really cool. I, I thought that was a great choice for the art style there. All the yeah. switches and the controls, anything you interact with in the game, the ancient Nomai structures, like the orb, and stuff, the orb yeah. stuff, you know, I, I thought that was really cool because it, it's very distinct from, first of all, what you're in in your ship, which is the technology that your, yeah. your people have. But also, uh, it, it was easy to interact with, it was easy to see, and it was easy to kind of pinpoint. I think that was a great direction for the art there. Pop, pop quiz. What do you think was the hardest part for the art team to create? What world was the hardest? Oh, I know this one. Uh, I think it was Brittle Hollow, right? Yeah. 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 Kind of what I was going off earlier too. Each of the each part of the Brittle Hollow, it's crust. It's all drawn by hand. You know, none of it's procedurally generated. So it's not like just automating, pumping out crust. It's each part is done individually by hand, which right. is incredible. And all those collisions are just, yeah, I don't know. It's, it blows my mind. It kind of going, um, mixing art design and game design together. It's just the collisions in the game is gener in general. You know, like, for example, the, what's the planet? The Ash Twin and the Hollow? The Ember, tw the Ember Twin Ember and the twin. Ash Twin. Yeah. Like, there's constantly sand being thrown into um, that planet, right? And, like, that, that has to be going constantly nonstop. They can't stop that because um, you're on a different planet because maybe you'll go visit that planet during this run right um, and to clarify the ash twin is literally pumping sand and filling up the amber twin 
Um, and stuff like that was incredible. And I know they were also so worried about collisions in the game that they almost made an achievement to where you take your scout, you leave it on one planet. You take your ship, you leave it on another. You get the Nomai shuttle, you pilot that and leave it on another planet. And then you yourself go to another planet. So you had like four different places where there have to be active collisions happening, not just like art stuff rendering. They're like, yeah, we were going to make that an achievement, but it's kind of bad to encourage people to, you know, break the game. It would so. crash the game <laughs> if they did that. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, everything's all happening at once. Exactly. Yeah, super cool. Uh, what do you think of the sound design? <sighs> so good. The, the sound cues of when things were happening was incredible. For example, like... Well, like, like I was saying earlier, whenever the supernova would go off, just that cue and knowing, like, oh my god, there's about to be this beautiful explosion. Or a part I love, too, is if you were, like, just floating around in space, they would intentionally cut the music, right? So all you could hear is your sound of your own breathing, basically. Yeah. And that just really contributed to the cosmic horror vibe of you just being out there alone in this vast universe. And so that was such a smart move to just cut music at points like that. And like I mentioned earlier to the music cues, for example, like if you're going into the, uh, when you go into the Eye of the, Un- Eye of the Universe and it just creates like this dread, like, oh my God, I, I messed something up. Um, and the soundtrack too is awesome. I have the main Outer Wilds song like saved on my Spotify list now. And Same. It was all just really, really well done. Yeah, I, I the music was just amazing. I think from the moment I booted up the game, hit the title screen, heard the banjo playing and then saw the title with the little trees kind of popping up from the planet that i was pulled in immediately just because of the music i was like yeah. oh a sci-fi a sci-fi video game with banjo music okay yeah. we're going and it's really we're interesting going. too whenever I, I do listen to like the opening soundtrack now the one at the starting menu i i, I feel hopeful right yeah <laughs> i do i really do yeah it's just oh uh, no uh, so i exactly i think like that tune feels so nice feels so like home homey and like comfortable and nostalgic. It's like it's like coming home from a long hike, and you know your mom made pancakes. There's <laughs> there's, there's a bacon too, and the world outlook is just looking great. Everything just feels yeah. good. Yeah. When old old Yeller's coming out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> old Yeller's right. coming out with his tennis ball in his mouth. <laughs> People love you. Life yeah. is good for Life the first good. time. There's um, no pain. Simps are gone. <laughs> the simps are gone. Simps are gone. <laughs> yeah, that's a good feeling. So, yeah, it, I, I just I love the blend of that of the music with the setting of, and the genre of the sci-fi and stuff. And I think what was great was when the music played upon making an awesome discovery. Yeah, that was super cool. So one of my favorite moments was actually um, when there there's like a tower you can't climb because you just can't climb it in your current in the way it is. It's just kind of broken. Um, it's the quantum tower on brittle hollow and mm. um, you can't climb it in the way that it, its current state is but like matt mentioned the brittle hollow this planet's actually falling into a black hole through the course of the 22 minute loop so the tower falls through the black hole so if you follow the tower you could climb it because yeah. it's it's just in space and you go through during that part there's like just this epic music that plays and you're kind of like in the middle of space reading, you know, floating in zero G, trying to like read the clue on this yeah, tower that you weren't crazy. able to climb. I, I And I, I love how the music cued during those big moments of discovery where they knew, hey, this is a big clue that a lot of things point to. Here's your music. You know, that was super, super cool. And also one more thing uh, about the music is 
I love I love each one of the explorers that you find. They're all playing a different <laughs> instrument, just chilling by the campfire, and it just made you feel so safe when you found them, even though you were in the middle of really scary it's like situations. It's a terrifying world, but there's just this guy stranded on the planet. Like, yeah, yeah hey, how's it? Like, hey, how's it going, man? Just decided <laughs> to pitch pitch my camp here. Yeah, this is, this is right. my, my life now. <laughs> he's like he's just playing a banjo. You know, <laughs> it's it cool. Yeah. yeah, man. So, uh, oh, this is a new segment, Matt. New segment. <laughs> okay, guys, we have this awesome segment. It's called the NPC Award. Woo. Okay, the NPC Award goes to your favorite NPC in the video game, sure. Matthew. Who's your favorite NPC in Outer Wilds? Without a doubt, the guy, the first one of the explorers you meet on Giants Deep, because he's just so nonchalant about everything. I forget how exactly it happened, or if he synced to a Naomi, or excuse me. Oh. God, God. If he sink to know ah. <laughs> my statue as well, but he he understands that there's a time loop going on too. He's the only other character in the game that knows there's yeah. a time loop, and he's just kind of like, yeah, time loops, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he's, so casual about he's it. He's actually like laying giving on up. A, he's laying on a hammock too. That's what makes it so awesome. Yeah, just he's like playing on his banjo, like ugh, time loops. Yeah. 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 Out of drag. He's, he's <laughs> looking up and you have a dialogue with him and he's like, it's the craziest thing. I think that the sun is exploding over and over and over. Yeah. Again. And you're like, yeah, bro, it is. Yeah, you kidding me? Yeah. He's, he's like, yeah, man. That's, What's with that's that? Crazy, yeah. man. That's crazy. I love that's my favorite. He got the NPC award too, that guy. Yeah. Oh, God, he has a name too. I forgot his name. But he was, yeah, he was cool. And you actually, I don't know if you did it, but. There, he provides the only unlockable ability in the game. Did you get it? I'm not sure. Maybe. What is it? So you have to talk to him twice. Okay. Uh, but you talk to him twice and you tell him, basically, there's a dialogue choice where you go, I can't stand it. I keep dying over and over and over <laughs> again. This is horrible. I'm stuck. I can't get out of it. And he's like, hey, man, sometimes I just sit and meditate. He's like, you want to learn how to do it? And once you learn that from him, you get an option in your pause menu that just says meditate until the next time loop. So you can actually skip oh, really? ahead to the next time loop by talking wow. to him the second time. Oh, yeah. I wish it's, I had that. It's a cool ability, but at the same time, it's it's not completely necessary, you know? Um, I kind of like it because it, it's better than having to exit the game and then reopen it. Or well, you could it. always just wait for the supernova, too. Or just run out of oxygen. Yeah. Yeah, so you can you can always die in more. There's many more plenty ways. of ways to die. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate them putting that in. Man, that's cool. I, yeah. I, I totally missed that. Yeah, that was a that was a cool one. So, all right, man, companion piece. Ooh, I love this one. So yeah, this is uh, just for those of you. Companion piece is uh, something that Matt and I both pick, where we talk about a non-video game piece of media that we recommend to go with this video game uh could be a book could be a show could be a movie uh matt what'd you pick anything yeah so i picked ad astra and i really want to i want to explain this because I, I feel like this is a big brain pick all right high level pick because i think the obvious pick is like um like interstellar you know, <laughs> you know? Like, oh yeah curiosity Woo. um i love ad astra and i love comparing it to this game because Ad Astra is like, to give context, Ad Astra is like the anti-Interstellar movie. And it, by extension, in my opinion, it's kind of the anti-Outer um, Wilds movie as well. Because Outer Wilds, 
and I, I've been preaching this the whole episode, this whole podcast. It's all about curiosity and driving to, driving to find and discover the secrets of the universe and the world and learn what's out there. Ad Astra is, in my opinion, a movie that's kind of like, fuck that. Fucking curiosity. <laughs> enjoy your nice life at home and enjoy your family. Because to give context, Ad Astra is basically um, starring Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones. Um, Brad Pitt playing Tommy Lee Jones' son. So Tommy Lee Jones is basically this um, legendary space explorer that led a mission of astronauts to basically explore the far reaches of our known galaxy and trying to um, try and to discover extraterrestrial life. Um, long story short, things go wrong on their expedition, their original expedition, and they get stranded on the edge of the galaxy. So fast forward to present day, which is where our movie takes place. Brad Pitt is basically tasked with kind of finding out what's going on with his dad. Um, why is there dark matter being propelled out from like his dad's and that team's last known location and trying to basically find his dad and bring him home. Brad Pitt eventually finds his dad only to learn that his dad basically killed his old crew because his crew was like, dog, we're not finding anything. Like, <laughs> dog, they, what are like, you doing? Oh, there ain't nothing out here. And then Tommy, Jones, Tommy Lee Jones is like, that ain't me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to keep going. That, that, nah, ain't me. that ain't me. Couldn't it be me? <laughs> so he basically, to be fair, I don't know. remember if he directly kills them, but he definitely is involved in their death somehow. Oh, uh, well, oh, you're talking about, I thought you were talking about the Brad Pitt part. No, no, no. Um, so Brad Pitt eventually makes his way out to the state space station where Tommy Lee Jones is at. And it's like, dad, we, we got to go. <laughs> we got to go, bro. <laughs> we got to go. Because <laughs> um, ta- Brad Pitt is going to nuke the station to stop the dark matter from hitting Earth, which is causing a huge ruckus. Just absolute, just, just absolute destruction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Tommy Lee Jones is like, fine, I'll go. And then the last minute, he's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and he like chooses to die die in space and just get nuked with the space station right and then brad pitt goes home and has like an internal monologue and basically like maybe your thing's so bad yeah maybe there's probably there's probably nothing out there yeah yeah. i have a nice wife i'm a i'm a i'm fine my brad pitt impression is terrible wow (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he basically decides like fuck curiosity fuck you know trying to explore and to see what's out there i'm gonna chill with my family at home and enjoy what my life has to offer here yeah um, and i loved i loved that message because it was so opposite of what i think kind of a movie would traditionally ask you to or yeah push, you know well yeah. you know you know what they say curiosity killed the cat and tommy lee jones it's they talk they talk about that uh, so it's a classic school story yeah <laughs> no story. that's that's a that's a great pick man uh, i i do remember watching that movie um when i was on vacation last year and uh or whenever it came out it came out like i oh, know i watched it um around new year's this last year and uh I did fall asleep during it. I will. I will. It's a slow it. movie. Yeah, it's a I slow. Saw it, I saw it in the theaters. I was like kind of dozing off, but I was pretty engaged regardless. Yeah, because I'm I'm not a normie like Lucas, and I can appreciate. No, okay, 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 you okay? Well, well, my companion piece <laughs> pick is actually uh, something you definitely haven't seen, and it's 2001: Space yeah, Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> so 2001: Space Odyssey this. is Watch my this. companion piece pick for Outer Wilds, and it's the opposite of a normie movie. So. I check yourself, Matthew. Okay. Uh, and 2001 bad, is what Ad Astra wants to be. It's what Interstellar wishes it was. Um, nothing like it ever. 
uh, has existed before or since. It's I don't think Ad Astra movie. wants to be that. Movie. I th- it's a phenomenal movie. It's just everybody wants to be uh, 2001. Um, so <laughs> uh, I actually watched 2001: A Space Odyssey a, a few weeks ago after I finished Outer Wilds and kind of kind of scratched that itch too. Just I wanted to feel like it was the companion piece pick, so I watched it. Um, and it's about humanity kind of exploring. You know, it's about them. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give a short synopsis, uh, but basically um mankind there's actually an ancient aliens uh subplot in there where these ancient aliens have a monolith where they they, that's buried on the moon human beings discovered it and then it sends out a signal past jupiter or saturn one of those planets and mankind decides to go and explore what is out there because they're following, basically humanity's following an ancient alien's radio signal to the edge of the solar system. So they decide to go explore it, and upon doing so, they kind of discover kind of the birth of the universe type of thing. Um, And it's kind of a surreal, trippy, crazy ending that's really open for interpretation. Um, I read the book, and the book is definitely a lot more clear. So if anyone's going to watch 2001, you might want to read the book as well if you're ever confused by the ending. But um, there's kind of the birth of a new um, type of universe or type of being. It also can even touch on interpretations of, like, the beginning of a new life or evolution. Um, so there's a lot of interpretations with that one, uh, just like there is with Outer Wilds. Yeah. So I think they're, uh, they're great pieces there. And my second pick, I do have two here, so I'm cheating is a short story uh, called The Last Question by Isaac Asimov. Uh, It's a short story published in 1956. You could probably find the PDF online if anybody Googles it. Um, And it's about the, it's a sci-fi story about the creation of the universe as well. Kind of. I don't want to say too much more than that because I'll end up spoiling that story. But I kind of wanted she yeah. to pick a second too. I picked Replay as my second because I love that book. Okay, okay. Well, then for a third, I pick fucking Groundhog. I'm gonna Day. look up our author really quick. <laughs> yeah, we gotta give him. We gotta give him credit. Ken Grimwood, right? Yeah, daddy. Yeah, all right, all right, cool. I got it. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. Great. That's the companion piece picks for sure, um, dude. Okay. Favorite moment? Favorite moment easily had to be the just the end of the game with the just I, I've, I've referenced I won't I've referenced it plenty of times so I won't delve too deep into it again but Eye of the Universe that ending seeing everything come together the existential dread existential dread of entering the Eye of the Universe and the pure terror which then turns into you playing a song around a campfire with your buds as the universe starts. Yeah. Awesome. Chef, yeah. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. I think my my favorite moment, that's a close second, but my favorite singular moment was actually when I entered the Ash Twin project and mm. saw the very thing that was actually creating the time loop and it all kind of came together. I was very, very blown away by that, especially with the music, the kind of rotating star orb thing yeah. going on, the uh, link of the mask to the statue there's so much going on inside the Ashwin project. I thought that was really cool. Uh, favorite moment there for me, Matthew. Yeah, daddy. Nitpick. Nitpick. Let me hear it. Easily for me. <laughs> uh, I kind of referenced it earlier, but it was just, and again, this is a nitpick. It's a very personal thing. Um, I, I like being dang having things dangled in front of me you know i like having things dangled in front of me being told where to go i think and it was just a difficult journey for me just because the 
game's very open-ended and I think I need a little bit of direction with these kind of games. So that was difficult for me. And then the Ash Twin warping was really annoying. <laughs> yeah, that... So you had to get it just right. And it's a very small yeah. time window to be able to teleport to the Ash Twin project from the uh, from the like ruins on the Ash Twin. And the goddamn anglerfish on Dark That's Bramble my fish. nitpick. That's my main yeah, nitpick. We haven't, yeah, we haven't gone into this too much, but the Dark Bramble is basically like a fog world where it's like a zero g environment and it's just a world filled with fog and various interdimensional pockets you can go into and hovering around in the fog and just swimming because that's what fish do in space as in the ocean they swim they swim um our giant angler fish and in case anyone doesn't know what angler fish is it's basically the the fish that dwells towards the bottom of the ocean when there's no light and then has like an antenna attached to its head with a little light bulb at the end of it and it does that to draw prey in and then eat it Google it. They're absolutely terrifying. They're horrifying. Um, <laughs> really, really not a good time. And they're just so annoying to get past at the end. And that's one of the things that really pissed me off is because there's a, to get to the end of the game, you have to get to uh, a know my vessel to teleport to the eye of the universe. And you have to get past three anglerfish. Angler fish. And from my, from a certain point of view. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just me, I swear. Yeah. From from my point of view, it looked like when you would you you have to go through a very specific interdimensional portal, and as you're leaving the interdimensional portal, there's just three anglerfish waiting for you. And in my opinion, it looks like when you're leaving that portal that you're on track to hit one of the anglerfish. Turns out that's not the case. If you literally just drift out and don't move, you won't hit the anglerfish, and you'll be fine. Um, I I just assumed I would hit them, so every time I revisited that. I would like slowly try to adjust and I would do just a little too much and they would, they're blind by the way, so they react to sound. Um, <laughs> they would hear me and I would just like die. And then I'm like, well, fuck, now I have to reset this time loop because like, that's the only way to beat the game. And I have to go to the goddamn Ashton project again to get the warp core. And it's just a, a mess. Just a mess. It was a mess. Just a mess. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. That's my Satisfying to get through though. I was like, did like a little dance when I finally got through <laughs> it. Yeah, very terrifying. They're, just they're drifting past them. Yeah, they're scary. They're they're difficult to deal with. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's the only real challenge in the game. I think yeah. um, it's the only thing where you have to actually feel like you're playing a game that's not an exploring, you know, walking simulator. Yeah, you know, it actually has a a little bit of. Um, takes a, quite a bit of skill to get through the anglerfish, so that's definitely uh, it's a nitpick, but it's also like a, a good design choice because at least it's there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool, man. So, uh, Matt, final conclusive thoughts, man. What do you think? Ooh, bro. I, I, uh, this game was a love hate relationship for a lot of it, but I really enjoyed it at the end of the day. Um, probably not my type of game at the end of the day. I realize that now, but very fun, very satisfying to see the end result, and. Um, yeah, man. I, I yeah, it. I, I'm. I'm. I think I liked it more than you, <laughs> for sure. This game, I think, needs to be played by anyone with strong curiosity. Uh, any kid that's interested in science or watches cool YouTube videos on interesting experiments or quantum physics or um, astrophysics or anything like that, this game will probably scratch an itch that no other game really Absolutely. can. Absolutely. Um, if you, it go, really is just a profound game. Yeah, if you go and look up at the stars at night, you will love this game. If you enjoy doing something like that, you will have a great time playing this game. On the other hand, avoid this game if you look up at the stars and get a panic attack and get yeah. sweats. Some people do that. So that happens <laughs> to some people. Can it, you know? can it be me? Yeah, <laughs> definitely isn't um, me, for sure. But um, yeah, man, out of 10, 
We're going to say our ratings at the same time. Out of 10, what would you give this game on go? Three. Are we allowed to do... Hold on. Are we allowed to do um, portions, like a half a point? No. Okay, okay. A half a point portions. Okay. We're going to add them up, and out of 20, that's the true rating of the game. Okay? Okay. That's the true rating. Because it's taking both of ours. Yes. (laughs) On go. Three, two, one, go. Nine. All right. Okay. I think Amazing. that's a 17 out of 20. That's a good game. What do we call for it? For this podcast. Uh, that puts this game in the cum zone. Oh! That's a good zone to be in. It's a great zone to be in. Yeah. Honestly, that's like a, that's a top tier zone. So one day a game may hit a theoretical 20, which means Matt and I both have to give it a 10. I'm not sure if we're ever going to get there. That would be really crazy, actually. Yeah, that would be... Because we, we're not going to discuss our personal ratings ever. No, no, yeah, that was yeah. no. I did not know you'd give it an eight. I actually thought you'd give it a seven. To be really? honest, really, yeah. I can appreciate a good game when I see, it, even if it's not my type of game. <laughs> I'm not an arrogant prick. <laughs> all right, that's all we got today. Got anything else, Matt? That's it for me. Awesome, awesome, Matt. Where can they find us online? You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at TFP Podcasts. That's TFP Podcasts with an S at the end. Also, feel free to email us at thanksforplayingpod at gmail.com. And if you had such a fun time with your favorite host, Matt, you want to stay connected with him on social media, you can find me on Twitter at uh, goodideamatthew and on twitch.tv slash Matt Stream once in a blue moon with Lucas. It's a good time, guys. Come hang out. You won't regret it. Lucas, yeah. and where can we find you? Well, if you like me more than Matt, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at GoodIdeaLucas. Also on Twitch at GoodIdeaLucas. Uh, yep, streaming Valorant with Matt a couple times a week. Occasionally streaming some Super Smash Bros. Melee, both solo and with the boys. It's always a good time, guys. Come in and stop by. Uh, this has been Thanks for Playing, and we will catch you next time. Skip it up! Thanks for Playing is a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music is by the impeccable Samuel Luna, and our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Brocal Bunch and Red Circle. Yeah.